the challenge with God is that He's not human. He's not like us. His thoughts aren't like us. His ways aren't ours. And uh, He's just so different. And it's so irritating. Because we want to follow God and we want to follow Jesus, but He doesn't behave like us. He doesn't sound like us. And then it just goes sideways quickly. Doesn't it? Sometimes. One of the keys to, to... Well, I want to talk today about Jesus saying, I am the life. And I've been sort of trying to follow him for a long time, since I was 15, 16. And even before I really knew Jesus, I was singing in a school choir from the age of seven or eight. Um, I was quite an angelic little boy, actually. Um, Singing angelic little songs. And then going to weddings and singing angelic little songs to people who were getting married. But I didn't really know Jesus. Um, And for anybody who's tried to follow God and know God over the years, you know that it it goes through seasons. And it goes through times where everything seems amazing. And then other times, is he really around? And does he really care? And a lot of that is is because God isn't human. And we we think in human ways. If I was God, I wouldn't do this. Have you ever said that to him? If, if I were you, I wouldn't let this happen to me. But God came into this world as, as Jesus, as human, to reveal what he meant by human. And human meant being filled with his spirit, being open to him, never being an orphan, being empowered and having a, a reason to live from the inside. But he came into a world where everything had been turned upside down. And humanity had lost touch of who God is and began to see God in their own image. It's very easy to make God into your own image. When Jesus talks about the life, uh, we might be encouraged when he, he, me- he meets his disciples and he talks to his disciples. His disciples struggle with him just as much as we struggle. And one of the keys of following Jesus, one of the keys of growing with God is is pursuing reality, what is real, and questioning, and pursuing until what seems like a dream becomes a reality for me, and making it your own. So Jesus is with his disciples. It's not very long after he's called them. It's, they're still getting into it, and we read this reading about him talking about bread, and he says, Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will look, live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live. And on hearing it, men of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? What do you do when there's hard teaching? What do you do when following Jesus hits you with some hard teaching? I know what many, many people do. They walk off. Or they shoot the messenger. Or they just get angry and go to another church. Or whatever. I mean, we could draw lots of things. What do you do when you get to hard teaching? It's one of the reasons why when you get to hard teaching, you need to press into the teacher. If we don't know God is good and Jesus is good, then every time he says something difficult, we'll back off. But a better way is to go, if God is good and Jesus is good, then if this is hard, what's he saying? Why is it hard? And it's usually hard because his way is coming up against my way and one of them is going to give way. And it's not going to be him. I'm sure we've all tried that. Get God to change his mind. 
get God to just understand that I'm special. Just make an exception for me. Lord, you know how much I want this. Or Lord, you know how much I'm hurting. Have you tried to blackmail God with that stuff? I mean, it's, it's, it's genuine. I speak of what I know. If you'll only do this, then I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Some of you said that. And you're still on serving him for the rest of your life, so it's double worse. This John chapter 6 is actually, um, it starts the first verse with Jesus feeding the 5,000. That they, he's doing some teaching and they're there a long time. And he says, these guys are getting hungry. And then he turns to his disciples and says, why don't you give them something to eat? Sometimes God will throw things at you just for fun. See how you respond. Because they got, how can we, we can't feed ourselves, let alone 5,000 men and then another 4,000 men, and w- I mean women and children. And Philip turns to him and says, uh, well, here's this little boy with a few loaves and fish. And he says, that'll do. You need to understand that if a God who can take dust and make human beings out of it, he can take sandwiches and make a huge banquet. He can do anything. He can do anything. That's why, you know, people say, well, I'm not good enough for God to use me. God says, I'm good enough. I just need a little bit of flesh. You'll do. And when God does use you, it's not because of you. He just needed something to manifest through. So the great encouragement is he doesn't need much to make a miracle. And if we got over ourselves, we'd just say, here I am, Lord. Do something through me that would be extraordinary. And everybody's jaw would drop because they well, that's John. We know John. Or that's Bill. Or that's whoever. Ask God to do a miracle through you. See what happens. Look in the mirror and say, you're amazing, but he's much more amazing. And if he can use me, he must be God. Don't take yourself so seriously. Take yourself very seriously. It's a paradox. And so they, they, they end up, Jesus feeds these 5,000 and he says to them, after they've all been fed, he says, pick up the pieces, don't waste anything. And then they think he's going to be of God. So you, you actually read in the scriptures, he, he goes into the mountains because he doesn't want their accolades. He's not doing this to look good. And so he goes off and then the next minute, his disciples are on the water, uh, in, on the lake, in a boat, and Jesus walks on water. It's all pretty amazing stuff. The disciples are going, whoa. Everybody's going, whoa. And the trouble with God is he always ruins the whoa. You see, the feeding of the 5,000, Lord, I'm hungry. Okay, here's some bread to eat. Thank you, Jesus, you provide for me. And God's going, that's just keeping you alive on earth. That's so kind of, mundane that's if you were God and I was God together that's what we would do we'd feed 5,000 keep them keep them the bodies alive and we would go that's enough for me that's cool but the rest of that chapter God really messes up you see at the beginning of the chapter he's fed all the bodies they say he's amazing pick up the bread we give it away it's amazing then he walks on water he's incredible and then he he has to ruin it by saying, that's not really why I'm here and that's not really what life is about. Because you remember the woman who was at the well, she came, uh, she came to Jesus, or Jesus was at the well and he met her and she was coming in the midday sun because she was probably 
a prostitute, and she, or no, she wasn't. A pro- she had a, certainly had seven, six husbands. She should have gone to the Lamb Conference. Um, <laughs> Hi, I've come with my six husbands. <laughs> she, she met her there, and what does he say to her? He says at the end of the day, he says, "If you knew who was speaking to you, you wouldn't just ask for water. You'd say, give me living water." And she says, "What does that mean?" And he says, I will give you water that flows up from within you. You will never thirst again. He says to the disciples, I am the bread of life. If you come to me and feed on this bread, you will never be hungry again. God has this way of taking the natural and all the things we ask for in the natural and goes, Lord, please just provide, give me enough money. And he goes, I, I can do that. But he's always springboarding off that into saying, now let's talk about it, the real thing. Because he says, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get bread and you're going to keep this body alive and you're going to exercise it, you can get fit, you can do all kinds of things, you can make it look good and all that stuff. And that's nothing's bad with that. But he said it is going to end up as dust. The brain and the body are going to end up as dust. They're going to live for 70, 80, 90 years. Then they're gone. And he says, why would you invest all your life in keeping something happy that is actually going to be dust? Because it is actually the container of a spirit that is lives forever. So why do you not seek and hunger after what lives forever? Why are you satisfied with bread that feeds your body? As if that is the meaning of life. Why do you chase after the bread that only keeps you alive in the body, but when the body is gone, what investment has been made in the spirit that lives forever? And the disciples, and I, see the spirit gives life and he says the flesh counts for nothing. What has he just actually said? He said most of what you're investing in and most of what you think is important, most of what you're even talking to me about counts for nothing. The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. But all our conversations about the flesh, all our priorities about the flesh, money, holidays, families, they're all important. Don't misunderstand me. They're all important, but they're just not as important. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you. Because he's saying, what is the essence of life? Is it the body or is it the spirit? If you're looking for life in the body, you will be looking for life and controlling your circumstances. If you're looking for life in the body, you will be looking for life from relationships or from work or from healing something, but you will be looking for something that will be manifest in the body. Now, those aren't bad. They're just not life in all its fullness. And so Jesus will often meet people in the body. I will heal this body. I will actually raise this body up. I will... I love this body. I will do things to this body. But he's always through the body wanting to access the spirit. And so in John 6, he does that. He starts with this feeding of the 5,000. He walks on water. And then they have this conversation. And they found him on the other side of the lake. They asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And he said, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures 
so it, to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And then they say, what must we do to do the works of God that God requires? The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. I mean, that's, that's really easy. All he says is, what do I have to do to please God? Because they've grown up in a religious background. They've grown, grown up in ritual and, and all kinds of performance things. And he says, all you have to do is uh, hang out with Jesus, really. Which is like a father saying to a child, or they're, they're both talking to each other, and they're both saying, what do we do to, to have to be able to enjoy one another? And you just say, hang out. How many kids say, I wish, I wish my dad had time for me. I just wish he had time. I wish we could go out and just do something together. I, I guarantee you in this room, probably 75%, and that may be conservative, come from families where the father didn't spend a lot of time with you. And the cry of your heart still is, I long for the words of a dad, my father, to say, this is my son or this is my daughter whom I love in whom I'm well pleased and I'm so proud of him. The cry of the human heart is for that voice. And if you have children and they came up here, now, the only th- one of the few things in my life that I can boast upon is, is that I've actually been a good father. In all my screw-up, I've been a good father. And so I have absolute confidence that if my two daughters were here, Carmen and Michelle, and I walked out this door and, I, and you said, does your dad love you? They would say, yes, absolutely. Why? Because he's always hanging out with us. He's always thinking of us. He's always doing stuff. Because I didn't have it. as a, a great, great joy and pleasure to give it. Huge joy and pleasure. It's easy. It's one of the easiest relationships in my life is to love my children. And God's heart is that every single one of us would know his love. And we'll get to that in a minute. That's the spirit. He says, believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus says to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, said, always give us this bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And they go, oh, I'm not getting this. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And this is where Jesus starts messing up. Stop there, Jesus. And he starts taking him into the realm of the Spirit. And they lose him. I have told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive out, drive away. I am the bread of heaven that came down from heaven. And they say, you're not the bread of heaven, you're Joseph's son. And he says, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. What that means is that in our humility we need to start saying, God, show me the things that I don't understand. Help me to know the things that I don't know. Help me to see the things I can't see. Help me to step into who you are and out of my fixation with who I am. 
Help me to be at ease with you are not like me and I am not like you, but you want to help me see more of you. There's so many churches and so much Christianity that has just really humanized Jesus and tamed him and made him like us. So we don't believe in the miracles anymore. Jesus doesn't feed 5,000 people through the miraculous. We just make a lot of sandwiches. And in our own strength, we try and mimic the miracle and we do good works. And there's nothing wrong with doing good works. They're just not miracles. And we strip the supernatural from God and we strip the supernatural, even expectation, from our realm, our paradigm, our consideration and we end up with what? It would be nice if it worked, but it doesn't. This is the real world. And God is wanting to say, my world is the real world. I want you to learn how to begin to say to your body, no, and hunger after me like your body hungers after bread. But I didn't even know that I could hunger after you. I want you to listen to what goes on inside you and start saying, Jesus, will you teach me how to listen to your spirit in me? Because I tell you, one of the things that happens is God is trying to talk to the Spirit in me and the Spirit in me doesn't understand it's God, so the Spirit in me rises up and thinks it's me and I get offended. We have to learn how to discern the Spirit in us. And we learn it through life. We learn it through relationship. We learn it through walking one step at a time, like into the promised land. The disciples didn't have an easy time with his teaching. And if we never come up against difficult teaching, we're probably not following Jesus. The encouraging thing is here, I I, I really, really value this and encourage you to value it, and that is don't swallow anything I say or anybody else says. Test it. Question it. Chew on it like bread. Chew on it and say, what is true and what isn't true? What does it say about me? What does it say about God? What does it say? And that's what they were starting to do in this chapter. The disciples began to grumble. Anybody ever grumbled here because of teaching? Or mutter, 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 mutter. I don't agree with that. What amazes me, you know, quite honestly, is so often we grumble and we have very little idea what we're grumbling about. We just know we don't like it. And you go... The phrase that I've loved to use often is, tell me about the God you don't, you don't believe in. Because so many, I don't believe in God, I don't, be, I don't believe. And you say, will you just slow down? What don't you believe? And when you talk about God, what are you talking about? And you know what? Most conversations end after about two minutes. Because they're an emotional reaction to a bad experience that I've held on to for years and years and years. What if God is good? Well, how can a good God cause suffering? What if he doesn't cause suffering? Well, if he doesn't cause suffering, why doesn't he do something about it? He has. He sent Jesus. Well, who believes in Jesus? Do you want to shut your mouth for a minute and start thinking? Do you want to stop reacting to stuff and actually start inquiring about what it means? Do you want to humble yourself just a little bit? Because right now you're not looking like you're too happy anyway. You're very defensive and very opinionated, but the substance of what you're saying is nonsense. What if God is good? 
and he doesn't cause suffering. That's why sometimes at funerals, particularly when people die young, I want to say to people, come up here and berate the husband or the, or the wife of this person who's died and say, why on earth did you let them die? And if I did that, they would say, how, how incredibly rude and insensitive, John, for you to do that in public. And I'm doing it for an illustration reason, which is, if their loving husband or wife who's left behind didn't desire their death, why on earth would God do that? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, why on earth use that? See, God springboards off the natural into the supernatural everywhere. Pretty much everything we do is a springboard into possibly understanding who he is. And he's not like us. But he loves us enough to send his son to springboard from the the natural of Jesus on earth into heaven. Because he understands that we need to know and we need to learn. And we learn from earth to heaven and from heaven to earth. It's all mixed up. Have I lost you yet? On earth, if you use your mind, you become intelligent and you become someone who can strut around saying, I know, I know. On heaven on earth, if you use your heart, your mind will be transformed, trans- uh, reformed and transformed. If you open your heart to the love of God, your mind will be changed. Because your heart leads you to the place with God that your head cannot logically work out. So you have to learn how to listen to head and heart all the time. And sometimes the heart interprets the mind and other times the mind interprets the heart. So what happens with these guys who are following Jesus? They've seen this miracle where he's fed the body and then he ends up with saying, but that's not my priority. My priority is that actually you know the source of the bread That is more than just what feeds your body because if you actually eat the bread of my spirit, there will be a hunger in you that will never be hungry again. And that hunger, if you have problems with addiction, you have problems with food addiction, it's a spiritual root. Addictions are never about the physical. The physical are just the realms in which they're expressed. But the root of all those addictions is in the spirit. You're hungering for something that food will never satisfy. Sex will never satisfy. Drugs will never satisfy. Ask anybody who's addicted. It never, never ends. It kills you. It has to. So instead of just trying to discipline the body, which is part of recovery, it's also about finding hope in the spirit. Not, be careful here. No, I wanted to say it, but I don't want to be, I don't want you to mishear me because I think, I think a lot of addiction groups start with big open doors because they have to. But at the end of the day, the God who heals you in the core of your being is not a God as you understand him to be. It's God as is revealed in Jesus. And I'm tired of having to apologize for that as narrow-minded. It's kind of the way it is. It's either the way, the truth, and the life, or it's not. But with humility, we share this because we're all learning what that means. We None of us have arrived into all the fullness and so the disciples are, are sharing together and they're grumbling and Jesus goes into an even more long description. And I won't read it all, but he talks about, you know, he ends up, I mean, you want to tell, shut up, shut up, shut up. And then he, he, he just talks himself into more and more trouble. I mean, he gets to the point, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What do you do with that? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood 
has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day for, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Yeah? What do you make of all of that? I am Jesus. If you feed on my body and drink my blood, you will live forever. And you go, this is cannibalism. Because you're thinking and interpreting and hearing on a human level, which is pretty understandable. And God sent Jesus into the world to say, that's where they're going to start and that's where they're going to struggle, but there will come a time where they'll realize I'm talking in another dimension. And so we have to have the humility to begin to wrestle with the words of God and the ways of God to come to a place of revelation of who he is and who we are with him. And what happens when you're in the midst of that struggle? It can feel like you have nowhere to land and you don't make sense of anything and you just give up. And when you're in that place where everything is confusing and sometimes growth with God and growth with Jesus is confusing and sometimes growth with God and and wrestling with God does lead you to places where you feel like everything is falling apart, everything you trusted in is being taken away and you don't know what to believe anymore. That's not a bad place sometimes. It might mean that you're beginning to actually lose confidence in yourself. And at those points, you just need to be patient. Say, God, where are you? What are you saying? It's good to have mentors, good to have people who've walked a little further than you and go and share with them your dilemma. Because you will often find, your dilemma is everyone's dilemma, by the way. The things that you cause struggle, cause struggle in you cause struggle in everybody. But as I said right at the beginning with this light, bu- this light bulb, there's some th- there are only two or three things that really will make a difference. Are you rebelling against God and just doing your own thing? If you are, then let's just say so. If you're disconnected, it means you don't know who he is and you need to get connected. So how do I do that? There's some very, very basic things. Like if you're going to eat the bread, open your mouth. Oh God, if you want me to have bread, I just, I, just give me bread. And he says, open your mouth. But what if you put something else in? What if I get indigestion? What if I don't like that particular kind of bread? What if it's not gluten-free? <laughs> what, 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 what? We do it. And he says, I'm trying to get bread into you, but you won't open your mouth because you won't take the risk and you won't believe. Taste and see that I am good. Every step you take, Faith is about believing in what you don't yet see, stepping into what you don't yet have. But you have to begin with God is good. And so what happens with the disciples? He said this while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And I've been to the synagogue in Capernaum. It would take about this much people. So what did the disciples say? On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? It makes no sense to us. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this again, Jesus said, does this offend you? And if Jesus was Canadian, he said, I'm so sorry, I'll change the teaching. So sorry to offend you. I I really, I didn't mean to. The Holy Spirit offends at times. But that's not to justify my bad behavior. I'm merely saying the Holy Spirit does offend, does cause offense. It should because it comes up against the human spirit. 
And the human spirit likes to look after the body. That's why I keep on saying things like, I'm not in my comfort zone right now. I don't understand this. It doesn't feel good. Are all kind of understandable, superficial responses. Just don't give them authority. The fact that you're not comfortable doesn't mean a lot other than I'm coming up against something I'm not comfortable with. Well, if God is supernatural and he's bigger than anything you've ever encountered, you might have some discomfort in his presence. No, it's not him I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortable with you, John. Okay. Filter it. See what's going on inside you. Expect to be not comfortable. And then question it. And so the, the good news here is Jesus actually allows that. He actually invites that. He says, well, does this offend you? He doesn't tell them, oh, you shouldn't be grumbling. You shouldn't be offended. He's actually inviting them in a journey with him that explores the stuff that they struggle with. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit, and yet there are some of you who do not believe. And this is why I told you that no one can come to the Father unless the Father has enabled them. And he's really just saying then, if you try and come to God and you try and follow Jesus in your own strength, with your own understanding, you will not. If you try and follow God in your own understanding, you will find yourself coming up against offense so quickly that you will start another church for people like you, where you can study the Bible forever but never do any of it. Or you can go, let's, I'm just playing with this, so don't come back at me now. Or you can just sing songs and worship forever but never do anything. You can design it for whatever you like to have and whatever causes you to come to life, but your coming to life will have been reduced down to how your body feels and what your emotions are like. They won't have a supernatural power. They'll be comforting on a human level. And it won't actually have a resonance for people to really come closer. It'll soon fall apart. So Jesus, one of the most, I think, moving moments actually, from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That's hard. I'm actually pouring out what I believe, I'm speaking like Jesus, I'm pouring out what God the Father has told me and all these people who have gathered and now suddenly I have taken them into a little deeper place. I've caused offense and half of them are walking off. It's hard to walk, watch people f walk away. It's hard to, to know whether what you're saying is of God. Because if it was of God, everybody would come, surely. If it's of God, everybody would feel, yes, God, but that's not true. What is of God is received by some and others walk away. You know the story of Bethel that's pretty famous now when Bill Johnson came and said, I want this church, God's mandate for us is to have revival and a thousand people left the church and went to other churches. I mean, we even have a little story at St. Albans across the road. You know, I started talking about Jesus, half the church left because it's talking about Jesus and using a guitar. And it's painful because people don't leave politely. They, they accuse you. They don't blame God, they blame you. And it's, it's hard not to be hurt. And it's hard not to take it personally, but it is personal. Because Jesus is personal. It should hurt. And we hurt one another. 
maybe sometimes far too casually and easily. We take offense very easily. And then we shoot each other so quickly. The Wild West is still alive spiritually. And Jesus' experience here was it was painful. And so he turns to the twelve and that, you do not want to leave too, do you? And they probably were going, I don't know. And Peter, of course, is the man. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. What's he saying? Read between the lines. I'm not the swiftest and sharpest knife in the box, says Peter. I haven't a clue what you just talked about. But how can I walk away from the man who stepped into my boat and filled my net with fish and then said, come and follow me? The one thing I've already dealt with is I have no idea who you are and how you operate. But I have never been more alive. And I cannot walk away from that. Because I have experienced how you have loved me. So when my head doesn't make sense of you, I trust my heart. So no, I'm not leaving. And one day, yes, I'm going to tell you I'll never leave you and I will leave you. And then you're going to come back and say, Peter, will you follow me again? You see, it's the Spirit that brings life. The Spirit blows where it wills and it touches where it wills, but the Spirit brings human beings to life in ways that don't make sense, that they can't resist. And then you get to the place, like probably many of us are, where you know too much of Jesus to sin really well, and you can't get away with it, and that's part of the Spirit's testimony, actually. But at the end of the day, God's still saying, I want you to hunger for me like your body hungers for bread. I am the bread of life. You see, the life that Jesus offered those disciples at times sounded like death. The very things he said to them, this will bring you to life, to their body and to their natural understanding, caused them to go, this just sounds like death. Some of us still believe that if we give God control of our lives, he's going to ruin it. If we really risk with God in our whole lives, he's going to be a killjoy. And the question that God, I believe, places before us this morning is what makes you come alive? You might not even know. For most of us, our track records are pursuing things from the body's perspective that we thought would bring life. And after a while, whatever we thought would bring life doesn't seem to satisfy. You know, if I, get, if I get a boyfriend, I'll be alive. If I get a girlfriend, I'll be alive. If I get married, I'll be alive. If I have a children, I'll be alive. If I get divorced, I'll be alive. If I go to another country, I'll be alive. If I eat the stuff, I'll be alive. If I drink the stuff, I will be alive. If I can have that friendship, I'll be alive. If I can get a motorbike, I'll be alive. If I can get, get just stay alive, I'll be alive. <laughs> That's how it works, isn't it? And God says, I want you to have a life that comes from a place where my generosity and my presence is such that you will have life no matter what is going on in the human form because the kingdom of heaven has to be accessible to everybody. 
irrespective of status, irrespective of finance, irrespective of education. And so the Spirit of God is poured out and resourced to every human being who says, I want it. And what Jesus is trying to teach us is how to pursue that. There is a bread that you can eat that will make you fulfilled and come alive in in no way that anything human will. So let me finish with some things about life. Jesus also said, um, you know, in in, in that passage we read, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? And God created the angels. One of them was Lucifer. God allows the wheat to grow with the tares. He allows all kinds of things that we would never allow. So Peter says, and the men on the Emmaus road say, you make me come alive. 